Well, good morning, New Life Church. So glad that um, you could be with us on this Lord's Day. Hope you've been enjoying the weather as well. It has been considerably cooler. So we have been going through our series in Luke's Gospel called The Mission of Jesus for the last couple of months. If you have been here from the beginning, you would remember that so far we have looked at four songs of praise recorded in the first two chapters. The first song is from chapter 1, verse 42 to verse 45, which is Elizabeth's song. Um, Mary's Magnificat is in verse 46 to 55. That's the second song. The third song is Zechariah's Benedictus, uh, which is in verse 68 to 79. And then in chapter 2 is the, the angel's song that was recorded. But today we're going to look at the, the fifth and the last of these nativity songs that Luke records for us, and it's from the righteous and devout man whose name was Simeon, as the the scriptures tell us. So we are going to see the hope that Simeon had and how it was rewarded, and then we will meditate on the object of his hope. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This morning we are going to be reading from verse 25 Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your spirit to teach us this morning. We pray, Father, that your spirit would help us to understand the the scriptures, but not just as an academic exercise, Lord, but that he would help us to apply these truths that have been recorded for us here in this passage, especially the song that has been recorded for us, Lord. So we ask, Lord, that we would see the hope that Simeon had, and we would see how his hope was rewarded, and we would have the same hope, and we would live with the same anticipation. And Father, we pray that you would be pleased and and honored um, by the lives we live in response. So we ask, Lord, please teach us now. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. So I want to start with a story I found in the Reader's Digest about Charles Eliot, who was the president 
emeritus of Harvard University at the beginning of the 1900s. So during the summer of his 90th year, he made his way slowly down the road from his cottage in Northeast Harbor, Maine, to the cottage of his neighbor, the Peabody's. Mrs. Peabody greeted him warmly and invited him into the living room. And after a brief conversation, Elliot asked if he might hold her newborn baby. And mystified, she lifted her infant son from his crib and laid him in the arms of Harvard's venerable President Emeritus, a very aged man at this point. And Elliot held the baby quietly for a few minutes. And then with a little gest gesture of thanks, he returned him to his mother, explaining, I have been looking at the end of life for so long that I wanted to look for a few moments at its beginning. And we all need hope, don't we? And especially in old age, but also at all other points in our life, we need hope. And one of the blessings that comes with the, the little ones that God entrusts to us is, is hope, isn't it? And yet that hope comes with children is, of course, uncertain at, at different times. There is always the uncertainty of disease or sickness or, or even death. You know, what parent of a newborn has not gone into the, the crib in the middle of the night and, and put their ear on the, on the chest of their baby just to make sure that the little one was still breathing. And if the child survives disease or an early death, there is the uncertainty of this, this evil, corrupt world that, that we live in. There's crime and, of course, there's drunk drivers and there's a threat of, of terrorism, there's a threat of war and economic instability. All these things make every parent worry about what kind of world their children or even their, their grandchildren would grow up in. But given these uncertainties, when we meet an elderly person who is filled with hope, we need to sit up and take notice. And here in our text is one of these elderly people that is filled with hope. And his name is, is Simeon. And he could be pessimistic. He could be cynical. He could be filled with fears and the anxieties that um, he has experienced. But when he held baby Jesus in his arms in the temple courtyard, we see more than just an old man taking a newborn baby in his arms. We see an old man who has put his hope in the promise of God. And as we observe this, this elderly saint with this child in his, his arms, we learn some valuable lessons about the hope that we all so desperately need. And those who hope in God's promise will be rewarded. And let's begin by seeing the, the report that Luke has recorded for us. And, and he begins by telling us that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. In the first part of verse 25. And that's my first point this morning is the character of Simeon. This is the only place in Scripture where this Simeon is mentioned. His name means God has heard. And actually, Simeon was a common name 
uh, in the Bible, common name at that point in, in the world at that time. A number of people in the Bible were, were named Simeon. But Luke says in verse 25 that this man, Simeon, was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Notice those two words. And this is a really a wonderful description about the character of Simeon. And it is loaded with meaning. To be righteous and, and devout simply means that Simeon was sanctified. He was justified. He was a believer. He was a true, genuine child of God. And the two terms are really inseparable because, as one commentator put it, Christ therefore justifies no man without also sanctifying him. And Simeon was declared righteous by God, and therefore he was devout. He was devout in the way that he lived. He was devout in the way that he lived before the world, and of course the way that he lived before, before God. But look at the second part of verse 25. Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does consolation mean? Well, consolation means comfort. He is talking about the Messiah. He, is, he, he looked for the Messiah. He looked for the Christ. He looked for the Redeemer actively during the time of his life. Simeon cared deeply, of course, about the people of God, the, the Israel. His concern was, of course, heightened by the, the, the terrible circumstances that Israel find, found themselves in during that time. Remember, they were under the oppression, the dictatorship of the, the Roman Empire at that point in time. And this oppression caused the, the nation of Israel to long even more for the deliverance that was promised to them by God in the Old Testament. So this Old Testament promise was, of course, embodied in the Messiah. And Messiah means Savior, doesn't it? We saw that earlier in Luke they were waiting for the anointed one sent by God to deliver his people from oppression. But the promised deliverer would deliver his people from the oppression of sin. Remember, that's where the Pharisees got it wrong. They thought they were waiting for a deliverer from the oppression of man. But the Messiah would come who would deliver them from the oppression of sin. And this deliverance would be spiritual. It wasn't going to be political. And he would be the consolation of Israel that, that God had promised all along. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, the, the prophet wrote, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then again in chapter 40, verse 10, Isaiah identified the one who would bring this comfort, and that is the word consolation. He says in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. And there are many other passages in Isaiah where this has been emphasized, that God will comfort His people. So Simeon knew the Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew what the prophets had prophesied about Israel. And he was anticipating this consolation, this comfort that the Messiah would bring to the people of Israel. And Simeon's expectation was consistent with these Old Testament promises. Look at verse 26. It says, 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God spoke to him and God told him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. Look at verse 27. It says that Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus to the temple to do for him according to the custom of the, the law of God. So God led this old man, Simeon. Just try and picture this. God led Simeon right down to the temple the very same day that Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus to perform for him the law, what the law had required. This isn't a coincidence. This isn't chance. This is all in God's sovereign plan. For Simeon, this one moment in the temple made all of his life worth the living. His deepest desire in life had been to see the, the consolation of, of Israel. He was waiting for the Lord's Christ. Maybe he had expected, like everybody else, a powerful king riding on a, on a white stallion or, or sitting on a throne. Maybe that's what he was expecting. But what he actually saw was a common couple with, a, with a, a newborn baby going through the everyday ritual of cleansing and presentation as was prescribed in the, in the Jewish law. But the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon, this is the one. This is the one that you've been waiting for. And notice his response. He says, I'm now ready to die. I'm now ready to die that I have seen this child, I am ready to die. His one ambition in life, or his greatest ambition in life, had been fulfilled. His godly desire had been fulfilled. And when Jesus was born, remember King Herod had to call for the, the chief priests and the scribes to discover what the Old Testament said about the place of, of the birth of Jesus. And they could give the correct answer, but they missed the fact they missed the truth of it all. But yet it was revealed to the humble shepherds. And now it had been revealed to this godly old man who had been waiting on God for this very day, this very event. And Simeon's hope was firmly grounded in Scripture, as we, as we have seen. And now God was rewarding him with the desire of his heart. And Simeon understood through the Holy Spirit that this child that he was holding in his arms was the Lord's promised, anointed one. His desire had been fulfilled. And, and just as we have seen previously with the four other characters, Simeon breaks out into song. And listen to what follows as, as Simeon starts his, his song. My third point, the song of Simeon. Look at verse 28. Then Simeon, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart. The King James translates that as die, okay? Now you are letting your servant die in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So here is a man ready to die. He is not talking about his 
devout ways. He's not talking about his, his just ways. He's not talking about the years that he spent waiting and waiting on the Lord. He simply says, I am ready to die. I'm ready to leave this earth. I wonder how many of you have heard the, the song by Eric Clapton, Tears in Heaven. Anybody? Okay. You know, from a Christian perspective, it is probably one of the saddest songs that have ever been written about death. Now, Eric Clapton, he wrote this song in 1991 as a way to work through his grief following the, the death of his four-year-old son, Connor, who, who died after falling through a window of a New York apartment um, building. But in this song, Eric Clapton, these are the words he, he writes. He says, Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? I must be strong and carry on, because I know I don't belong here in heaven. The next verse, he says, Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? Would you help me stand if I saw you in heaven? I'll find my way through night and day, because I know I just can't stay here in heaven. I don't have any evidence to argue that Eric Clapton is a Christian. From his lyrics, I can guess that he probably isn't. He doesn't seem to have any confidence or, or any hope or any guarantee that, that he himself will be in heaven or that he will have any reunion with his, with his son. It's a sad song. It's a song of hopelessness. It's completely the opposite to Simeon's song. Simeon's song is filled with hope and, and much expectation. And we see he was ready to die in peace because he had seen Jesus Christ. And the question I want to ask you all this morning is, are you ready to die? Do you have this, this hope of eternal life? You know, death is not a nice subject to talk about if there is no hope. If you were to die today, where would you go? And what is your hope in? And who is your hope in? Are you ready to die? Simeon was. Simeon was. Why does he have such a confidence and an eagerness to want to leave this earth, to want to depart this earth? And I want us to see that this morning. In verse 29, we see the words recorded, his own words. He says, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Messiah. I have seen the Lord's salvation. By his own confession, Simeon was quite ready to die. His assurance and his confidence was in the fact that with his eyes of faith, he had seen the Lord and his salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me show you something here. Here's a man who's ready to die. He's, he's talking to God. He's singing a song to the Lord. And you'll notice that he's not bragging about himself. He's bragging on God. He's bragging on the mercy of God. Look at verse 
28, go back there. He says, bless, he, he blesses God, first of all. The Holy Spirit has led him here. There's no coincidence. This is God's providence. He has led him here. The Holy Spirit led his path to, to cross the path of Mary and Joseph so that he could meet the, the very Son of God. This is a way that, that everyone is saved who comes to faith in Jesus, who comes to know Jesus Christ. This is not something that we have done. God has brought us to that path. The Lord has allowed us to meet Jesus. And everyone who genuinely comes to know Christ and to know God in Christ, it's all because of the work of the Spirit of God. It's not anything that we have done. We can't brag at all about our efforts or our works. It is all because of Jesus Christ. This work is a, a miraculous work, and it's, it's not a religious decision. This work is not just someone winning you to a, a movement or an organization or, or to a, a religion. It's the Spirit that is quickening. The Holy Ghost, He will convince the world of sin, not us. It is by the Spirit of God that, that men are born again, not because of us. So the Spirit of God brought Simeon to the temple. And Simeon took Christ up in his arms. He received him and he embraced him. He embraced Christ with, a, with an embrace of faith because he knew who he was. The Spirit of God revealed that to him. This was just like Paul when, when he said, I know whom I have believed. But Simeon took up Christ with an embrace of love and hope. And with that tenderness, he, he held him. He turned his back on, on everything else. He turned his back on the, the temple sacrifices. He turned his back on the, the Jewish rituals. He turned his back on the, the ceremonies. He turned his back on the, the Jewish Sabbath. And he received Christ. And then, he, and then he blessed God. He blessed God for his revealed mercies. He blessed God for, for this day and, and for this hour. And Simeon's last words were, let me depart in peace. Lord, you are sovereign in life. You are sovereign in death. I'm ready to depart. Let me die. It was all in God's good favor. It was all in God's plan. He could die in peace now because Christ was his peace. Notice this hope that he had, folks. Notice the joy that came with this hope. It wasn't just a hope in hope. There was a certainty. There was a guarantee about this hope that Simeon had. And there is no way that anybody can die in peace if we don't have this hope. There is no way anybody could die in peace that does not have the prince of peace. We need to have a song in our heart because Christ is our Savior. And Simeon says, let me die in peace. I have seen the Lord's salvation. When is a man ready to die? He's ready to die when he knows something about God's grace. When he knows something about the gospel. When he knows about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unless you do not know the gospel and have embraced the gospel and put your faith in the gospel, you are not ready to die. 
Turn with me to 2 Timothy quickly. 2 Timothy, I want to show you another example. I want you to consider another person who was ready to die. And that person is the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was, remember before he became the Apostle, he was the great Pharisee. And God had saved him and God had revealed Christ to him, had opened his eyes to the truth. And Paul had told us that Christ, God had revealed Christ to him. And Paul, knowing that he would soon die here in, in, chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's writing from prison, he's very aged, he's about to die. But he writes these words. Look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And Paul continues, Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So here's another man who is ready to die. Quite clearly we can see his faith is in the gospel. We don't have any doubt about his salvation or his readiness to, to meet God. Here is a man with great confidence. Not confidence in himself, not in the confidence of what he's achieved, but his confidence is in the mercy of God. And the key to this whole testimony and statement is found in two places. Look at verse 6. Paul says, The time of my departure is at hand. So we understand that he was about to die. He's talking about his departure from this earth, not being let free from, from jail. He, and I notice he did not say, my death, but my departure is at hand. Very similar to the words of, of Simeon. And here is the first statement that I think we often miss. Paul says, I am ready to be offered. I'm ready to be offered. Now that's a strange thing to say at, at the point of death, isn't it? I mean, is that something that we would say? And in fact, another translation of the Bible says, I'm ready to be poured out on the altar as a, as a drink offering. And of course, that language is, is very typically Jewish. And I think the Jews to whom Paul was writing to, they would have understood that, that language. Most of the, the people at that time, they would have understood because they knew what a drink offering was. We don't. You know, we don't do the drink offering today. But a drink offering is found in, in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 28. And, and this is what a drink offering is and what, what Paul is saying. When a lamb was offered upon the altar as a, as a sin offering to God, a lamb was slain and the blood was shed and its body was burned on, on the altar. And of course, this is a picture of Christ, a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these Old Testament sacrifices were, were pictures of, and patterns of Christ. And this, later on, we're going to be having the, the Lord's table. And we have pictures here in front of us, just, just like they had in the Old Testament. We have the picture of the, of the bread and the picture of the cup to remind us of, of Christ, just like they did in the Old Testament, where they had to sacrifice these animals. But God did not save people through these blood offerings. I want to make that clear, okay? They weren't saved from those sacrifices. 
Bible tells us it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away man's sins. These were pictures. They were pictures of Christ. So these sin offerings and these sacrifices were done in faith, looking forward to the Messiah who was still to come. And they were looking forward to his blood that would be shed on the cross. Today we look backward, isn't it? We look to what has been accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we look at the same thing. We look at the blood that was shed for us. And of course, this was the sacrifice of the atonement. This was the sin offering. And along came the priests and the people, and they brought a drink offering. It was either wine or it was oil that was poured on top of the, the sin offering, the sacrifice that was there on the, on the altar. So this wine or oil had nothing to do with the sacrifice. It did not have anything to do with the, the purging of, of, of someone's sins. This wine and oil was a thanksgiving. It was a praise offering. It was added out of gratitude to God. And this is what Paul is, is saying here. Christ Jesus is my lamb. Christ Jesus is my sin offering. Christ Jesus is my sacrifice before God to take away my sins. And I'm ready to offer my praise to him. That's, that's what he's saying. Paul is saying that he is ready to be identified with Christ. And that's what happens when we partake in the Lord's table, isn't it, folks? We are identifying with the blood we are identifying with the body of Christ. And we appropriate the body and the blood of Christ when we become Christians. We believe that his body was beaten and, and bruised and ripped apart for us. We believe that his, his blood was, was shed on our behalf. And Paul was ready to be poured out as a token of praise before God. And as a thanksgiving to Christ, in gratitude to God. He was ready to die for, for God's glory. And nothing more remained to be done but to die. He had spent his life, the remaining of his life, in the service of God. And he was ready to go home. And this is what he is saying. The time of my departure is at hand but I'm ready because Christ, my sacrifice, has died for me. And I'm ready to join him in death. I'm ready to die for his glory. I'm, I'm ready literally to be poured out just like a drink offering. The wine and the oil on top of the altar where Christ died. I'm identifying with it. I'm identifying with it. And all the hope and all the confidence and all the faith that we have has to be in the sin offering, in Christ, isn't it? The one who shed his blood for us. But are we ready to die, folks? That's the question. Are we ready to die? Are we ready to give our lives, as Paul says, as this drink offering? Are we ready to give our lives in, in dedication to the Lord's service? Are we ready to do this as Paul did? Paul looked back with his life 
And he said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. You know, he looked around with, with peace and he said, I finished my course. I finished what God has done, has given me to do. And of course, he looked ahead with assurance and said, by God's word, there is later for me a crown of righteousness. So going back to the question I asked in the beginning, are you ready to die today? Are you ready to die today? Can you say what the Apostle Paul said? I finished my course. I have run the race. I'm ready to meet my Savior. Have you wasted your life, perhaps? Here's the second statement that Paul says. Paul faced death, looking to Christ, his sin offering, and to Christ, his righteousness. But don't, don't think this crown of righteousness was his righteousness. This man who talked so much about Christ's righteousness while he lived would never spend his dying hours talking about his righteousness and what he has done. Now, Paul, Paul talked about the righteousness of God in Christ. In Romans 3, and the righteousness of God, which is in Christ, he talked about in, in Romans 10. And when he came to die, he certainly would not be bragging about what he has done. He's bragging about what God has done. And Paul, the apostle, found his comfort and his, and his readiness to die looking to God, rejoicing in God and, and resting in Christ, in the sacrifice that was, that was made for him. Our perfect righteousness. We find that their foundation and their rock sounds a little different from all the people today who, who, who make these, these comments. You know, I found my peace with God. I'm ready to die because, because I put up my hand one day in church. I'm ready to die because I, I joined a church. Or I'm ready to die because, because I'm, a, I'm a Baptist. Because I'm a Methodist or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. I remember in India when I would meet um, somebody new in the church, the first question I would ask him is, are, are you a Christian? And the answers were very similar. They would say, my father is a, is a Presbyterian or my father is an Anglican. And I say, well, that's very nice to know about your father, but I'm asking about you. Are you a Christian? You see, people think if they, they're born into a Christian household, that they are Christians. And if a child is born in a, in a garage, it doesn't make him a car, does it? <laughs> Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. We need to have embraced the righteousness of Christ. We need to have our faith not in a decision we made, our faith has to be in the righteousness of Christ. Our faith is not in our efforts or, or our works or, or how much we have done for, for God, but in the righteousness of Christ. These men who, who came to die, their last words had to do with something that God had done, not something that they had done. It was something that God had done for them. Remember David had said, God hath made me, God hath made with me an everlasting covenant. 
God made the covenant, not David. Paul talked about Christ dying for him. Simeon said, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. Christ was their righteousness. Folks, let me just say this clearly. You are not ready to die until Christ is your righteousness. Until you have seen Jesus. I do not mean see him literally or in a vision or, or in a dream. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is you're not ready to die until you have seen Jesus as God's anointed Savior. Until you believe what the Bible teaches about the incarnation of Jesus. And we spent a lot of time talking about that over Christmas. And how God became man so that he could offer up his life as a sinless offering for us. To redeem us from our sins. You haven't seen Jesus as Christ until you have submitted to this truth. Until you have submitted to him. And until you have welcomed him into your life as your Lord and your Savior, you are not ready to die until you have done that. But once you know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed all of your sins so that you can stand before the Holy God in the righteousness of his Son, then and only then are you ready to die. So whether you live for another 60 years or for another 60 hours, you can know that the sting of death is removed because Jesus bore it for you. Jesus took it for you. Only then are you ready to die in peace. My last point, the prophecy of Simeon. We see in verse 34, after he finished his Song of praise, Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary, but then he said directly to Mary, Jesus' mother, he said in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In his great mercy, God addressed these words through Simeon to Mary, so that she would prepare herself for what was to come. She didn't know. We know, looking back. But apparently Joseph would not be around to comfort her, to help her, or to even witness the hostility that would come to, to Jesus and even Mary. In fact, after the incident at Passover, when Jesus was 12 years old, which we study later on, um, maybe in a couple of weeks, we never hear of Joseph again. We never hear of Joseph again. And we guess that Joseph probably died before Jesus began his ministry. But Simeon told Mary that Jesus was appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. In other words, Jesus was destined to be the determiner of people's destiny. Now later, Jesus himself said in Luke 12 verse 51, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus wasn't going to be loved by everybody. And Mary would face the, a lot of the, the scorn of that as well. 
But Jesus is the person who will determine the destiny of many. The destiny of each person is determined by how they respond to Jesus. Those who believe in Him go to heaven. Those who do not believe in Him, they go to hell. And that's a very dogmatic statement to make, folks. But there's no black and white there. There's no all roads lead to heaven. If you reject Jesus, you go to hell. If you embrace Jesus, you go to heaven. I'm sure you've said that to a family member that you've loved and, and you've been scorned and you've been rejected at some point. But these are hard truths, folks, that the, that the Bible talks about. And this is what the Bible teaches and Simeon affirms this. And furthermore, Simeon told Mary that a, a sword would pierce through her, her own soul. This is a prophetic reference to the anguish that Mary would feel as she witnessed the, the crucifixion of her own son. And Simeon may have had in mind what Isaiah had prophesied. Remember in chapter 53, Isaiah said, He was pierced through for our transgressions. Remember Zechariah prophesied in chapter 12, They will look on me whom they have pierced. So through the Holy Spirit, Simeon addressed and understood here what even the disciples had failed to grasp until, until Christ's final crucifixion. Until they saw for themselves that Christ was suffering these things. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness from our sins. And if you are trusting in your own goodness to get into heaven, you will fail on judgment day. You are not ready to die. But if you trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who is God's only Savior, you will be welcomed into God's holy presence on that day. So can you say with certainty this morning that Jesus Christ is my salvation? If Christ is your salvation, you can have hope no matter how difficult your circumstances are. During World War II, some American prisoners in a German concentration camp secretly received word of the Allied victory three days before the, the Germans heard of it. But during those three days, their circumstances didn't change. There was no difference. They still suffered all the, the usual problems they had before, but their attitudes had changed. They knew that they were going to be liberated. A wave of hope spread amongst the, the prisoners. Victory and liberation was assured it was coming. And they could endure these last few days because they had hope. Whether you're suffering from a, from a disease or you're grieving over the loss of a relationship or a, or a loved one or, or you're facing some other trials... If you believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, here is your hope, folks. You can endure. You can endure if you trust in Jesus Christ as God's salvation for you. Remember, He has won the victory over sin and death. And He has promised He is coming again. And we have this assurance 
that we can die in peace if it is 60 years' time or if it is in 60 minutes' time. Are you ready to die? And those whose hope is in Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Are you ready to die? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning again so very grateful for sending your son, Jesus. So very grateful, Lord, that you open our eyes and put us on that path where we would meet your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that day, Lord, when we met Jesus Christ. Thank you for the day when you opened our eyes to the truth that is recorded for us here in the Scriptures. Thank you for the day when we realized that we were sinners who were in need of a Savior. And Lord, I pray this morning there's bound to be someone here in this room that needs to be saved, that needs their eyes to be opened, that needs that heart of stone to be removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. Please, Lord, do that today. For the sake of your son's name, for the sake of your glory, do that today in the life of these people amongst us. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. For those of us who are saved, for those of us who have put our hope and our faith in the sin offering that Jesus offered for us 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the hope of eternal life, this assurance we have. And I do pray, Lord, that as we focus on the gospel, as we contemplate again the gospel, that we would have this, this gratitude as we come together this morning around the Lord's table, that we would be thankful and grateful and hopeful, looking forward to your return, but that we won't waste our lives, Lord, that we would live our lives to your honor and to your glory, even though our circumstances may be difficult. May we look forward with hope, knowing that we can endure because Jesus has won the victory, because Jesus has risen from the dead. Our lives make sense. Our lives have a purpose. We pray, Jesus, how may the Spirit apply this truth to us today. May we not live lives of negativity. May we not live lives of, of despondency. But may we live lives that would bring glory to your Son. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.